two, one. Before we begin this episode, I would like to do a moment of silence, please. Thank you for that, everybody. Um, this Absolutely. episode's yeah. a little bit late, well, but... I, I think it's only yeah. apropos, because uh, tonight is a, a very special episode of Thursdays with Maury. Mm-hmm. This what, is what in we... honor of Remembrance yeah. Day, all the veterans that sadly passed throughout the war. I've had family that have been involved in the war. I'm sure everybody here has, to a certain extent. Absolutely. I've many people across the globe, and we're here for you right now. Hope you can tune in to listen to us, and just to preface, none of the opinions on the films, films tonight have nothing to do with the war, or our personal opinions on politics involving the war, but typically they are just centered around the films themselves and how they depict their messaging. Not necessarily with think- the messages they're trying to convey, but more so how the film depicts it and how well they depict it. I'm your host, Ian Taylor. Joining me tonight is my co-host, musician, and artist, Devin King. And, of course, returning guest, uh, American filmmaker, Stephen Beeson. How are you guys doing? Hey. No, that was, a, that was a great introduction. I will say, I think with some of these films, it may be impossible to separate them from... Well, we'll do our real, best. We'll do our we'll, best. We'll do our best. I mean, I think we're we're going to be as as fair as possible. But I think there's a a certain level with, especially the films tonight, uh, that it's there are some real world implications, and sometimes that can be fascinating to examine, particularly um, with the theme that uh, Devin had selected for us. And I know. We'll get into that. I did want to say, um, just speaking as the uh, uh, American (laughs) in the room, I found this interesting because in November, uh, here in the States, we have uh, Veterans Day, which is for people who have come home from the war. And you guys in November have Remembrance Day, which is uh, remembering the fallen. And I thought that was interesting because we in the States have something similar, um, but we call it Memorial Day. And it's usually right around the end of May. And so I'm curious, do you guys also have uh, a Veterans Day or or do you guys just... Just Remembrance Day. Just Remembrance Day. Wow. Just Remembrance Day. Okay. So so you're saying America is based. 
Oh, we, no, well, we have a day where we honored people that have fallen, so I'd say we're slightly okay. more based. Well, no, that's what I'm saying. We have that, too. We just have two days, because we have one in May, which is for the fallen, and then we have Veterans Day, which was just Friday, I believe. Well, so that's interesting. I think it just also depends on who you ask. Like, some people in Canada might celebrate Veterans Day, but typically speaking, it is just Remembrance Day. Huh. No, I mean, jokes aside, that is interesting, and I'm always fascinated by uh, the sort of cultural, you know, exchange that we do on this podcast. I know Devin, uh, and this was (laughs) Devin's episode uh, idea, I know he kind of joked about that you know, we have to have a 30% quota for <laughs> one Canadian film per episode. Yeah. Yeah. What is, speaking of theme, Devin, what, what is the theme? Tonight? Yes. Well, you know, in that we're not very uh, <laughs> averse to a heavy subject matter, we just, I thought, you know, be interesting angle to look at uh, the concept of German guilt, which is... um. The residual cultural feeling of guilt that uh, Germany had felt after uh, losing the war and uh, realizing that uh, Adolf Hitler uh, is maybe not the best person to be uh, fighting for um, for many reasons, which I think any you know country that you know um, experiences what they did uh, would naturally go through. And I think that this is uh, worth examining and worth looking at. There's lots of films that could have uh, contended for this. Um, we were looking at uh, Downfall at one point, and uh, Apt People also came up on our radar. Um, Stephen was very adamant about uh, reviewing Cross of Iron, so we're looking at that. Uh, shit, what was the other film? Oh, remember, yeah, that was the one that I uh, was mainly um, re- wanting to look at. And the, the, the thing that really catapulted this whole thing uh, was all quiet on the Western Front being re-remade. Uh, we had uh, reviewed on the podcast before the uh, TV version of it that came out in the 70s. Thanks to our friend Matthew Portelli, who would have loved to have been here tonight, but he uh, unfortunately has a very busy work schedule. Um, one point of disclaimer is none of us are German. I do have uh, relatives that are, you know, related to, uh, the, the, the have a German ancestry. And uh, this is something that, you know, isn't usually a topic of conversation that likes to be brought up. It's almost considered taboo still, but they do think that it's important to take responsibility and acknowledge what happened, of course. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's it's very heavy subject matter. Um, and we just want to look solely at kind of how these films depict um, that or at least what could be said about that from these films. So, like, one thing that I found with these uh World War II films, we always see kind of things from our perspective. And there's one line from the film Small Soldiers that I think really highlights how, uh, um, you know, us in a Western context almost kind of view the war. Um, there's a line in Small Soldiers where uh, the one dad, if I remember correctly, says something like, I think World War II is my favorite war. And he's looking at it solely as a spectacle of entertainment, not an actual thing that happened. He's, and and that, that always stuck out to me. You know, like um, he's not really looking at the actual real world implications of what's going on, just more of like an entertainment value. And I would think that these films are a great way to remember or could potentially be a great way to be reminded that this was a real thing that affected people that, uh, you know, 
um, even though it felt like so long ago, uh, generation-wise, I think it, we were all personally affected by it in some way or another generationally, and it's good to be reminded of that. And I think it's worth looking at it from all different sides because you know war is hell, regardless of who started it. Um, yeah, and so I wanted to kind of explore things from the other perspective just to see what can we learn from their point of view in terms of uh, what happened. So that was my sure, whole, and uh, I mean that was that I, was my whole intent with this thing. No, and I mean I I, I think there's merit to that, right? I mean there's some uh, there there's some truth that you know I mean a lot of people uh, you know probably excuse me in Germany uh, you know not not everyone that was in Germany necessarily agreed with uh i the... I'd, I'd say almost most didn't or at least definitely after the fact they like well we didn't know everything that was going on and they were oh, just sure as and as I we mean, were about it yeah no and i mean there was actually a film and uh it's a shame we didn't talk about that one like you said we we kind of bounced around a bunch of ideas but there was actually a film uh that came out not too long ago called valkyrie um, which was oh. a group of of uh, high ranking high ranking uh, Nazi officials who basically you know realized that they were really in over their head and they were attempting to sort of sabotage um, Hitler's party from the inside out. Um, and that was a movie that came out recently. I believe Tom Cruise was in it, yep. um, and it's based on a true story. So. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's nuance and I think there's depth to, you know, all sides, right? I mean, it's, I mean, unless you're a Nazi, then you're just bad. But anyway, you, you get what I'm saying here. I mean, <laughs> well, it's interesting that Nazi is, is short form for bad. And I think, I, I mean, it's, I mean, we, we all agree with that basically, but it's it, also well, been, yeah, sort of a, it's been appropriated as a term of, oh, I don't like you. You must be a Nazi kind of thing. Which I do think is a well, false dichotomy that people like to create. It's an over-exaggeration. Yeah. Yeah, like like well, the Nazis is. just shorthand for evil person. Um, well, yeah, and you know, the thing about that is, and I've, I've said this to people before, it's like, the only people who stand to gain anything from the word Nazi losing... Uh, cultural value, you know, from, from losing the impact and weight that it should have is literal Nazis. Like people who are actually of that worldview and that mindset, they want that word to lose meaning. And I think that's, that's the dangers of just current society as a whole. But I mean, you know, it's, I know we're kind of getting off track here, but it's, (laughs) there is like, there's a lot of different layers to it. War is, as you said, war is hell, and uh, there's always people who act in bad faith, and there's always people who get swept up into things that they don't quite understand or they're not ready for, and it's it's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think in war, you know, no matter wins um, on, on on a country level, we lose in a sense, um, like the. The, the, the people's lives that are lost or relatives and whatnot. Um, and it's moments like that that remind us we, we surely do live in a society. <laughs> and we have to go well, there. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm well speaking to... of uh, living in a society, uh, let's talk about <laughs> Sam Peckinpah. Oh, hey. 
Base and peckin' pilled. So, 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 so just like it, it's yeah, you're welcome for that one, by the way. Um, so just like that, we have a mandate for 30% Canadian content. We have a mandate for 30% uh, keep Stephen happy content. So Stephen, take Ex- it away. Exactly. No, I. Um, <laughs> no, I mean we we've talked about this before, just briefly. I mean, you guys were doing stuff like the. Uh, you know, the three colors trilogy. And then I join in and it's like, Hey, let's review this fucking garbage B movie. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying crossfire is a garbage B movie. No, no, here I mean, first. no, 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 no. But we did talk about, you know, puppet master, the littlest Reich on one of our war episodes. So, I mean, I I'm happy to bring some balance anyway. <laughs> Cross of Iron uh, is a 1977 war film. It is directed by Sam Peckinpah, um, the director of The Wild Bunch, Straw Dogs, uh, The Getaway, um, lots of other films, classics of American cinema. Um, Again, this was released in 1977. It was not very well received uh i believe it was released uh in march in the states and the uk which i believe it was only may when star wars a new hope came out the same year and something this grim and nihilistic really couldn't compete in a box office uh, dominated by this sort of, you know, massive, happy-go-lucky kind of blockbuster. Um, well, you're also found... forgetting one crucial thing is that it's a war movie from the Germans' perspective, released in the middle well, of the I... Vietnam War. Yes, and I w- I'll get into that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's um, Sam Peckinpah's a very, very anti-war film, again, released in 1977. Um, It stars James Coburn, uh, Maximilian Schell. I believe James Coburn was actually the the main sort of American draw for this film. There were not a lot of uh, American production companies that were willing to take a chance on this. Um, It was produced as a co-production between Germany and Europe. Um, and what is the film about? Well, it's uh, set on the Eastern Front in World War II. It tells the story of a ragtag group of uh, German soldiers um, who are trying to fight the Russians. Uh, caught in a in a crossfire and things kind of get shaken up when a aristocratic uh prussian officer joins the squadron and and tries to take things over and his sole uh objective in the war is obtaining the titular sort of medal of honor and uh it's about classism and the mundanity and brutality of war and nihilism and all kinds of things. And 
as I said, it was released, as you said, it was released during the Vietnam War and was not a popular film, but it's kind of only recently seen um, a bit of a renewed uh, cult following, in part because of uh, Quentin Tarantino, who's been talking about it, actually well, touring. Quentin. Yeah. <laughs> well, touring with his uh, new book, Cinema Speculation, in which he talks about it and how this film inspired Inglorious Bastards. Um, I also found it interesting that while the reviews of its time, you know, contemporary reviews have been kinder, but uh, the reviews of the time were very harsh and uh, rough. But Orson Welles actually personally wrote uh, Sam Peckinpah and said that this was probably the best anti-war film he had ever seen. Uh, with the exception of maybe the original All Quiet on the Western Front. And mm. that is That's quite really high praise. High praise, yeah. 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 Um, I I mean, I've, I've made no bones about the fact that I am a massive fan of, of Peckinpah. I think what he did uh, with The Wild Bunch, which we talked about on the show, was, you know, brilliant. I think he's one of the uh, best and most underrated voices of the Hollywood New Wave. And I think this is probably his last true masterpiece. Uh, was that his last film, period? No. He, make... he made two more after this. He made uh, Convoy with <laughs> Chris Christopherson, and he made a film called The Osterman Weekend, and I have seen both, and you can pretty much skip them both. Um, okay. So, so to me, this is his last true masterpiece, and I absolutely loved it. I'm really curious to hear your guys' thoughts on it. I mean... Let me see. I don't know if I really got... Um, the whole messaging of this. I don't know if it was the version that I saw. I could only understand half of the dialogue. Um, it, 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 it always uh, is a weird choice to me when they have American actors playing people who are supposed to have a different cultural background and are even supposed to be of a different voice. Like I get it's an American production and this, but um. Maybe maybe we're just uh, spoiled with more authentic kind of portrayals of these kinds of things. But I, I, there were times I just kept forgetting that they were supposed to be German, which I get is the whole point of it. But it's just this weird kind of uh, well, it fact. Actually, it's just this weird fact of the time that that, that this yeah. is what they would do. Well, um, it actually is a German co-production, and as I said, I think James Coburn was mainly the. The, the really the only uh, American on board. Mm -hmm. But um, it's interesting Orson Welles um, says that this is a, one of the best anti-war films he's ever seen because I don't think that this film um, – how do I put this? Um, it doesn't do much to not glorify uh, the, the war, I find. Like, you know, mm -hmm. the, the, well – just just the way that they shoot the action. Like, the action is all in, in slow motion. That's definitely where they paid the most attention, I think, in terms of the production value, I find. Like, I do think it uh, speaks out against 
the violence for sure, but at the same time, visually, it absolutely still makes a spectacle of it. Really? What this film does remind, well, yeah, visually the way mm. that, um, and, and I, I would compare this to something like, say, Johnny Got His Gun, which is a film that I really appreciate that was made kind of around the same time, and that was also about a soldier of World War II, um, although an American soldier who, um, I don't want to spoil too much of it, but if you've seen Metallica, the music video for one, you pretty much got the gist of the story, um, where all of his limbs are kind of blown off by a landmine, and the entirety of the film is basically him either remembering something that already happened, um, or dreaming about, you know, something that could be happening just in his head because he's literally just a, a, a piece of meat that's been kept alive. And that film absolutely does not glorify war whatsoever in even the slightest way. It doesn't uh, – so I don't know. When, when, when I watch films like this, even if they speak out against the war, they know the uh, people in the audience are enjoying seeing the spectacle of it, and that's what they're kind of there for. I don't know if I really agree that spectacle. Like I feel like the slow motion is more so emphasizing just the brutality of what's happening. Like it feels, it, it feels less like it, it's like the last of the Mohicans, and it feels more like Full Metal Jacket, and how something like that would use slow motion to emphasize like the pain and the emotion and the feeling of violent, like visceral violence just happening in front of your eyes. Like I don't know if I agree that it's <laughs> done for spectacle. Like maybe it was the intention, but it didn't feel like that was what it was doing. I don't know if I agree with that. I don't. Well, here's the thing. I, I don't think I agree either. And and here's why. Because it was a conscious choice on Peck and Paw's part to tell a story from the German perspective. And these are not just, you know, th these are not Nazis. Like These are not men who are really sympathetic to their cause. They are really in the truest sense of the words i mean they're they're, they're victims of circumstance they're they survivors are, yeah they're survivors who are a part of the german battalion and forced into this sort of combat they don't it's not that they want to go do this it's not that they are doing it because they believe in the cause and i think that's an important distinction to make because i think it would be so easy especially for someone like Peckinpah um, to make this, you know, the dirty dozen or to make it this kind of John Wayne, we're all patriots. We're all out here doing the good fight because, you know, we're on the right side, but you don't really get that. You get the sense that these are only somewhat sympathetic characters fighting an, an unsympathetic cause and being forced to do that, and it's the brutality and the you know banality that they have to go through, and then the clash of personality of this aristocrat who is coming in and you know thinks that this is all worth more somehow. You know, it, there, there's that great exchange between um, James Coburn and the the Maximilian Schnell, um, where they basically are like. James Coburn basically offers the Medal of Honor to him and just throws it down. And he's like, why do you care? Like, just take this one. It's it's just a hunk of metal. I love that scene. Yeah, there's a lot That's of incredible. great exchanges. Like, yeah. 
I love that. It's like, yeah, just take this. It's a hunk of metal. And yeah, I can't believe I'm saying this. I love this movie. I absolutely loved it. I thought it was great. It's way better than The Wild Bunch, in my opinion. And here's my big reason why. The biggest problem I have with The Wild Bunch by far was that it had like a similar cast of unlikable characters. But my my issue with that was it thought the characters were likable. Like it, it, it felt like they wanted us to care about the characters more than they deserved. But here it's like they have an unlikable cast of characters. But guess what? They actually know they're unlikable. Like they actually like they're self-aware about like how unlikable these characters are and how their actions are just hurting the people around them. And I that makes it so much more compelling and relatable that the film actually feels self-aware about how you know disgusting its protagonists are, and it really fits well, the um, atmosphere of this film much better, in my opinion. This is this is the question I would ask then. So this is an American film about the German perspective. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I still think still, I, 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 I still think that it holds an American perspective on what we think the German perspective was because we know because as we're watching it's like, oh, these are unlikable people because they're on the wrong side of the war. You know oh, what I mean? I, I don't know if they're like I don't, completely I mean, they're, they're unlikable. They're not like completely irredeemable, I guess is the best way to put it. And no, yeah, I agree. That's and, my biggest. And, and yeah, the, the 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 hero of the story is someone that betrays kind of the the Nazi cause. And, and I'm not advocating for that, but I'm just saying, if it was from like the German perspective, I don't know. It it it, it does feel like the American well, kind of. It, it still well, feels like a very American version of the of the German perspective. Actually, I don't know. I, I was pleasantly surprised of how much he got away with <laughs> with this movie, like especially when it came out and. Yeah, like, it is, that's the one weird part about this movie, like, going from watching All Quiet on the Western Front in its original German language to this is really jarring. I have to admit, it did take me a very long time to get used to it, but after all, I think that all just kind of fades, and yeah, I guess you could say, like, the German, because it's Americans shooting the Germans, it made the characters unlikable, but at the same time, I'd argue that also makes it more compelling and believable. Like, these feel like actual soldiers, no matter what generation they're from like there's no fluff there's no prettiness to it there's no like we gotta make these characters like sit around at a campfire and talk about how much they miss home or anything like there's nothing like that in this movie and i feel like if making it from the german perspective is the way to get away with that i don't think that's an inherently terrible thing like yeah it's a thing at the time but guess what it's also american war film from the 70s unfortunately it's i also do nuance. think it is it, it is unique though and i do want to give credit to this that it is the, the, these are people who aren't all all for the cause also which Absolutely. i do which i do yeah. appreciate because we've we, we've seen all cry the western front a couple times well it's it's been remade a few times and you go through the whole journey of all these people are being, uh, you know, set up to believe in their fear and all this and, and their cause. And we know that, you know, this is going to lead to a very bad thing. Um, but this film wasn't exactly that. It's like these guys are already kind of in the muck and they don't really believe in what's and, and, and what they're fighting for. They're just kind of, yeah, like victims of circumstance. So that is a unique angle, which I do appreciate seeing. Absolutely. And, and yeah. I will say, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, yes, it is maybe from the American perspective in that, you know, you have Sam Peckinpah behind the camera. But again, I want to stress, I mean, this was a film that really, I mean, it it reminds me of something like uh, Lord of War, 
where it's like the American production companies were not interested in making this. This was a European That's true. co-production. Yeah. And really, James Coburn is the only American actor. Um, Germany gave this like the thumbs up before even releasing it. So obviously they didn't see a problem in its depiction. No, and I mean, here's the thing. I mean, you know, Paul Schrader actually uh, posted on Facebook something about that there's no such thing as an anti-war film. You know, his argument was that inherently trying to do something, you know, it, it it's going to be spectacle. It's going to be violent. It's going to be epic. There's going to be elements of it because of the nature of film. And the way that film is inherently designed to manipulate you, that it's impossible to make an anti-war film. I don't know that I agree with that, but Mm -hmm. I think this film probably comes as close as any film I've ever seen. Yeah, the the one film that I would challenge that as well. Um well, come and see is, is definitely up there. Oh, I'd highly yeah, recommend yeah. that. But also, Friends. I don't think anybody can watch Johnny got his got, a, got his gun and say, "Yeah, war is great." Yeah, I I know. No, or I watch Apocalypse Now and think war is great. Like I really disagree with that sentiment. Oh, sure. To I mean, well, yeah. I I, I I I get the point that he makes. So when you when you film war footage, um, yeah. there is an inherent spectacle to it. So I do think the angle of your story, um you know, really matters in, in, ter- in terms of grounding it, in terms of how you contextualize how we view this. Like, do we view this as a victorious kind of thing? Are we just here for the explosions and the excitement? Or are we focusing more on the on the real human toll that this had? And I think that that's an important distinction to, to kind of make. Well, and as far as me, I really resonated with the humanness of this film. I resonated mm. with... Uh, humanity. Yeah, humanity, I mean, you know, I, I resonated with these characters. I resonated with their struggle and the the sort of pointless nature of what they were doing. And I think, I mean, I I, I will put it this way, I... I think that the the ending sort of the last few moments of this film where this sort of Prussian aristocrat is finally given a gun and, and he has to take up arms and he doesn't understand how to load the weapon. And there's that shot of James Coburn just absolutely laughing at him. And he's about to get shot. The the this sort of Prussian, you know, uh, military countryman, you know, he's about to get shot by a child soldier. Yeah, that was brutal. And there's this th- there's this yeah. laughter playing over the credits. And if you stuck through the credits, you'd notice that all of the victims of World War II, pl- these photographs play over the credits, and then eventually it transitions to victims of the conflict of Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, there's even a line in this film where one of the German soldiers says something to the effect of, what do we do once this is over? Like, wh- where do we go from here? And his commanding officer says something like, we just prepare for the next one. Yeah, I, I remember that. And I think, I, I think that in and of itself, like that exchange and that sort of message 
and I'm only speaking for myself, but I, I feel like that is the magic of cinema. Like, I think that is powerful enough on its own that it, like, it reminds you, it reminds me at least, why I wanted to become a filmmaker. Like, that kind of power in those closing moments. I think there's something incredible about that. And I think getting away with that in 1977... It's insane. Like, I was constantly thinking that. Like, there's so much stuff that (laughs) really got away with. Like, you can tell it was produced in Europe because there's just so much content that would not fly in U.S. production. Oh, yeah, I'm gonna blow your think... I'm gonna blow your mind for a sec because and tell you that the ending was not planned. You know, really? they did the ending because we didn't even talk about like all of the filming problems this film had during production. Like they constantly yeah. ran out of money. Like actors were getting hurt constantly. I think like one of the lead actors had to go to the hospital like four times during production, and the director yeah. was also really depressed while making this movie. Like he'd act. There were times where he would apparently get so shit-faced drunk that, like, other people would have to film. Like, the actors in the cinematographer would have to film about him because he was just passed out cold because he was feeling so miserable <laughs> feeling this movie. Yeah, and the ending thing. in particular was done yeah. because they ran out of money, so they had to improvise on the spot and basically, like, come up with that, so... Uh, Sam Peckinpah got James Coburn to improvise, and that's where the laughing came from. <laughs> because like he couldn't do like he was gonna do like a longer monologue. There was gonna be more scenes of like warfare, but they just ended with that laughter, and I think that's so much more haunting than ending with like another elaborate battle sequence. I think it was very effective. It kind of ended up uh, serving the film. I'd say that's pretty wild. Like it, it definitely is like a very memorable moment, and it does seem like. Uh, kind of fuck it, we're out of money anyway. Kind of moment, but it it it, do, it does kind of work just in terms of making this, having this film have kind of that staying power, I suppose. Absolutely, um, like I love, I'm kind of yeah, a sucker like, for it, that. It, like, it, 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 it's definitely, it, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm kind of a sucker for like something that burns into your memory during the credits, like characters oh, yeah. like laughing into the credits or somebody like doing something while the credits roll. I mean, I'm kind of a sucker for that trope in this film. That's really. Great exception. I feel like those I really are... need to re. Yeah, I feel like I really need to review this film just uh, like to rewatch it. I mean, just because I feel like there was a lot of nuances that I maybe didn't fully appreciate. Just had kind of a rough week personally, so yeah. Sure. Check out a better copy Wait, too. It sounded like a copy was shit. Yeah, yeah. So the the version that that we watched was on archive dot com. You know, I I I I always try to find the best possible quality, but some weeks I just need to find whatever version is convenient which happened to be it. And the audio quality was really terrible. There were no subtitles. And with like the, the kind of fake accents, it just, it wasn't, a, it wasn't sure. a very pleasant viewing experience. So I don't feel like I really saw the film. Like I saw it, but I didn't really get, fully get to appreciate it. So that's maybe sure. the only reason I have this kind of fog of apprehension when talking about it. Um, but I definitely want to check it out. I was just looking up to see if there's a, like a decent kind of disc copy, and I think there's like a, one a Blu-ray on Amazon for like forty bucks, which is a bit much. But I maybe it goes shows to goes to show the kind of value that people hold for this film. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of, speaking of money, I was just reading another factoid here. Um, so it was filmed in Yugoslavia with money that was put up by a West German porn producer. Yeah, <laughs> I saw that. Yeah, I mean if yeah. you're desperate, you know, like if they aren't going to interfere, I guess worse. <laughs> 
Why does it matter? I guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which uh, that, 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 that reminds me different kind of shot. I mean, no, <laughs> no, it, it, that, that, that reminds me of a, of a little quip. I remember uh, showing you guys off the air. I don't know if you were there for for it, Stephen. I was showing uh, subjecting Ian to uh, Cinema Snob's review of Gums. Um, <laughs> the, the Jaws porn parody. Yep. Yes, yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and, and 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 then suddenly uh brother theodore's character comes up uh, his rendition of uh the uh the, the fisherman and he's like a he's a nazi for some reason <laughs> yeah just just what you want in a porn parody oh god um, yeah like this anyway this movie to... like we got to talk about like the production of this movie like it's incredibly well shot the music is great the production Absolutely. is so dangerous. Like, yeah, the, like there's tons of trivia about how actors got hurt, and you can tell. Like, there was like actual yeah. explosions, like inches away from the actors. Like, Anytime they use tanks in this movie, like it is just so like it gets so dangerously cr- like close to the actors, and they're blowing up like inches away from their faces. Like it's so. I mean, it works to the film's effort. And, you know, like, obviously to the of the film, but I also hate it because I'm constantly, like, afraid of what's going to happen. <laughs> no. It's like, come and see where, like, the guy, like, got shot in the helmet. And he's like, holy God, how am I still alive? Oh, like, that was shit. an actual yeah. bullet hitting his helmet. Like, it had that. And, and this is too. a, uh, this is an important question to ask because yeah. there's this whole theme of uh, reckless endangerment that we had when we talked about mm. Come and See. That was another film that, I mean, the script for that was too uh, risky for Russia at the time and and we're talking about russia here yep. um and there there were things that they did on that film set that you could and should not get away with today um but they make it work in that film um i don't want to spoil anything about that film but yeah there were there were some things that they that they did that you shouldn't be allowed to do uh to get it made but they somehow got away with it and it made for a compelling work of art but it yeah, i think they are important to you know, to to consider when watching the film, like how close to the edge do you really want to get to recreate this kind of thing? Like, does it really add well, production uh, value? Or sure, is it, I mean, it's yeah. it's about, uh, in a way, it's about the ethics of creating good art. You know, I mean, that was something, and and also, I mean, released this same year, and another film that did very poorly at the box office for similar reasons was uh, William Friedkin's Sorcerer, which is about a group of criminals. None of them are incredibly sympathetic, and they are trying to transport this uh, dynamite uh, explosive through the jungle. And, and it's kind of, they're, they're paying off their debts for you know safe haven of escaping extradition and they have to travel across these like rickety bridges with this giant truck full of you know nitroglycerin and what people don't realize is that the sequences where the truck is going across this little rickety bridge like that was all done practically that was really they Mm. put a you know thousand pound or whatever truck on this little rickety bridge out in the rainforest. And on some level, I mean, yes, it's horrific and you couldn't do it today. But on the other hand, it's that's part of what makes that film so memorable. And so... Yeah, it's a tough one. Well, what, they, what they, 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 they use it for the cover time. art, but yeah. You know, it's exactly. Like, well, the, the question is, is it worth the risk? 
And that's something we all have to ask ourselves when we watch these things. And and I think um, it's I think it's good to be, uh, you know, to recognize that, you know. And I I, I will say that you know, um, to, to kind of talk about what you know Ian kind of briefly touched upon. I mean, Peck and Paw definitely struggled with drugs and alcohol throughout the majority of his career. And as I said, this was really his last truly great film i think he he kind of phoned it in with convoy and osterman weekend was eh, really bad i hate to say but you know maybe that kind of adds to the danger as well it's like you have somebody who's maybe not equipped to handle an emergency if something god forbid did happen um Mm-hmm. But, you know, to to the film's credit uh, and, and not minimum, minimizing the, you know, inherent danger or, or the ethics of this film, I personally think that they made a, a fantastic film with an even better message. It's a tough one for sure, because Is there- on one hand, like, it's hard for me to kind of condone these actions. But on the other hand, I also look back at, like, yeah, maybe the intention of the actions weren't great, but I have a huge respect and admiration for the actors who are willing to put themselves through something like that. So it oh, really just comes down to, like, do the actors look back on it fondly? You know, were they convinced that they were making something great? Like, I feel like every a lot of films have a lot more risks than people are willing to admit, but some risks sure. are just bigger than others, and it's it, it, mm-hmm. it it's tough. I, I don't really have an easy answer for it. It really just depends on project, I think. Um, it depends on the project. So you, yeah. I, there's always an element of risk, but then um, you bring up examples like the Twilight Zone movie, where they went out of the way to get a shot for that they needed and ended up uh, ending the lives of uh, three of the actors uh, because they didn't uh, know how to duck before getting into a helicopter. Yeah, that's and that. I like know. that's clearly just incompetence, right? Like that isn't like okay, you're gonna I, be put into this bad situation, but it's gonna look great for your performance. We'll try and do it as safely as we can. That was a clear case of I, we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> I don't think that was incompetence. I think that was deliberate trying really? to cut cut corners, I trying to trying. murder people. No, well, I, mean, yeah, they, I think they were trying to save money on the production, and they mm-hmm. weren't really caring about the the consequences if it did go wrong. I will say that I think that is a different kind of negligence and a different kind Absolutely. of tragedy. Yeah. I feel like, as as weird and bizarre as this sounds, I feel like if, God forbid something had happened on the set of cross of iron i think that it would have been with good intentions where we'd also be looking back on it with like more cynical eyes sure and i mean i i I agree with that but i really think that something like the twilight zone was not coming from a good place to begin with and that's that's unfortunate well how do people look at the crow like they don't look at the crow like oh this had this awful production this movie isn't worth it they look at the crow like wow this guy gave his life for this incredible performance in this great character like that's how most people look back on that movie 
And really, nobody talks about Twilight Zone except for that segment exactly. and what it meant for those three actors. And and we kind of had this debate uh, on the podcast earlier this year with the, the tragedy that happened on the uh, Rust set um, with oh. the armor and, and Alec Baldwin and that whole situation. And so, I mean, I think there is a discussion to be had. Um, I'm thankful that nothing did happen to any of the actors involved in this. Um, but no, I mean, I, I just keep coming back to... I feel like, you know, and kind of touching base on what I was saying earlier about, like, uh, Quentin Tarantino and, and his admiration for this film. And this is something that I've I've always advocated for. Um, you know, we talk about, like, being inspired by modern filmmakers who, you know, if, if we were to get into the film industry and i i know that's a goal for many of us on here um you know those guys would be kind of our contemporaries and i feel like it's important to go back and and look at what inspired them and influenced them because i kept thinking to myself like watching cross of iron i i thought to myself like i see where there's elements of this that came into play when Tarantino made Inglorious Bastards. Like I see what he's drawing from, but I also see things that stick out to me that if I was going to make something like this, this would be the things that I would draw from. Mm -hmm. And I think that is incredibly invaluable for us as, as uh, you know, fledgling sort of uh, hopeful artists to, to, to really go back and, and see what what made the people that we admire and got us interested in filmmaking, what 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 inspired them? Like, I there, think there was another beautiful about that. Yeah. There was another sequence in here that I really stuck out to me that I thought was fascinating, if not perplexing, but it also did remind me a bit of uh, that other film I mentioned earlier. Um, he was uh, can't remember if he was at the hospital uh, recovering. And um, he was in a wheelchair, which it turns out he didn't need. But there was a lot of cross-cutting. It was almost like a dream sequence. Um, yes, yeah. Yeah. And that reminded me of a lot of uh, what happens in Johnny Got His Gun. If you haven't seen it, I do recommend it. But um, I wouldn't be surprised I, if he was inspired by that. I wouldn't either. I, I need to probably need to see that now. That sounds... Uh, I definitely recommend it. I, I am very curious what you'll think of that one, Stephen. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, speaking well, of our I, thoughts, you want to rate yes. uh, Cross of Iron? Well, I, I just have one more question that I would like to lead into. So again, this is a film that I feel like I really need to, to watch again to really appreciate and fully digest. So I'm feeling a lot of sorts today. I apologize for that, but I no want to make up for that by asking compelling questions to hear what you guys uh, um, say. And feel free to also add in the comments anybody that might happen to be listening, and it's not just us talking in an echo chamber. Um, but um, so in terms of this film relating to the theme of German guilt, um, how well do you think it uh, portrays this, or wh what what do you think it might contribute to that conversation? Well, I mean, I, I don't, think. Yeah, sorry. You know, <laughs> no, no, no. I'm sorry. We're we're all talking at once here. This is this is an echo chamber. Um, no, it, <laughs> I will say I don't know. I don't know if I necessarily got 
German guilt from this. I, I, I think there's maybe some of that, but I think more so what I took away from this was just the futility uh, of war and the just unnecessary brutality of it all. I think that's what really stuck out to me was just how grotesque and violent and just unpleasant it is on pretty much every level. There there mm-hmm. are no winners in this and I I thought it was fascinating to really contrast uh, the sort of upper class, you know, uh, men who are looking for glory and hunks of metal versus the, the 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 grunts who are doing all of the hard work. And I think this film actually does a much better job portraying that than another film we're going to talk about tonight. Oh boy! Uh, <laughs> but uh, we'll we'll get into that. Uh, Ian, what about you? What do you think? Well, I don't feel like it's going for German guilt as much as it's just about guilt in general. Like, I feel like a huge point to this film's favor for me is that it's about, like, all of the pain these grunts went through. Like, nobody that willingly went to war and isn't about people that have been to war for a long time. It's just the grunts that have no idea how long they've been there or how much longer they're gonna be there. And just that feeling of mundanity and intense visceral violence that just drives these men to do horrible things i guess in that perspective you could say it is kind of german guilt in that sense because it's saying that like where you feel terrible for putting these soldiers in these terrible positions where like they don't even know who adolf hitler is and they don't even care like they're being driven by these awful leaders to do awful things but i also don't think it's entirely the film's focus as it's a little more broad than just simply saying, yeah, we feel bad about the war, guys. <laughs> but, yeah, it's yeah, a little more complex than that. Um, I would give it a 9 out of 10. It's way better than the Wild Punch Fight Me Arts. <laughs> I, I don't think it's as good as the Wild Bunch, uh, but I'm also going to give it a 9 out of 10. I think it was fantastic. Really, really impressed me. I'm going to give it a, a comfortable eight. Uh, again, I, I really feel like I have to watch this film again to fully appreciate it. Again, nice. I was really... Nice. Yeah. Nice. No, but, I mean, um... I'm glad you at least got something out of it. I totally understand, especially if you were you know, maybe having a bad week. This probably isn't a, a, a good uh, boost for your mood, right? But no, these movies like, really you are. Know, it, I, <laughs> you know, I, I was really jazzed about this whole thing like a few months ago when we were at London Comic Con. Like, ooh, German guilt. That's a unique angle. That's not going to be depressing at all. Um, sure. <laughs> well. And I, I, I felt just as confounded as probably Sam Peckinpah was making it. So maybe <laughs> I, at the very least I got that out of it. Well, you know, I mean, an eight is a fair score. It could go up. It could go down. I mean, I'm just glad you I'm, I'm glad you didn't hate it. That's, I guess, where oh, I'm yeah. coming from. I mean, I was mostly just confused, really. Um, like, <laughs> yeah, what are they saying here? <laughs> well, speaking of uh, being confused, oh, I almost forgot. God. We need to talk about Remember. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Away. Um, so cringe. No, oh, come God. on. That was 10, but 10 out of 10 transition, you know it. I thought we were doing Memento. What are we talking about? Oh, yeah, Memento. Are you sure you're not talking about uh, Away From Her? I thought we were talking about uh, 2022's Memory, starring Liam Neeson. <laughs> oh. 
Wait a minute. I, I think there was a trilogy idea here that I pitched forever ago that we never got to, and this is my way of salvaging it. You know, um, let's you see. could say that uh, the effects of reviewing this film would be irreversible. Ha. Ha. <laughs> All right, I feel right, bad so, for that. All right, we're good. Let's, Go on. All right, we're, we're good. That, we that our quota. bad, and you should feel bad. <laughs> Remember is a 2015 film uh, made by our boy Adam McGoyan. Um, yeah, we'll uh, we'll we'll get into that soon. Don't worry. Um, which is uh, stars Christopher Plumber, uh, who plays Sven, who is a. Um, who is a uh, person suffering from dementia living in a retirement home, uh, nursing home, I should say, rather, um, who um, he and his friend are both Auschwitz survivors. And um, his friend convinces him, basically says that he promised that he would go try to track down the men that uh, killed their families back when they were at Auschwitz. So this film is a... An odyssey of a very forgetful man, um, basically trying to fulfill this um, uh, near impossible task for someone in his state, um, and perhaps a futile effort to take revenge on uh, atrocities that were committed a long time ago. And I think this is just a very fascinating film that looks at you know old age, and it takes this kind of very pulp kind of plot, but plays it puts it in a more realistic kind of setting. Mm -hmm. Like I feel like the way this film plays out feels like a much more realistic kind of take than how many other people would probably do this kind of film. The fact that he's uh, suffering from dementia and very forgetful, I think, is a very fascinating kind of angle. Um, my mom also uh, has worked for retirement homes for a long time, so the setting is kind of is oddly familiar to me. <laughs> um, so I do think this is really interesting, and, you know, she, 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 would, she would be uh, freaked right out if she, if anything like this was happening at work. Just having to deal with all this, so and and I think even the way they they depict that is rather realistic. That they, you know, try to figure out where he is right away. They don't they don't they don't try to let shit like that slide. But uh, I really like this film uh, for what it is. Um, I think it's by far one of the best things Adam Goyan has made probably since. Um, Exonica. I mean, I was gonna actually I was gonna say the Sweet Hereafter. I think that's probably still his best film. Period. Mm -hmm. um, and this was like him actually saying, "Oh, I can actually make good movies again." Um, <laughs> and, then, and then he and then he and then he made the Captive uh, with Ryan Reynolds. Oh god, Ooh. I hate that movie. Yeah, yeah. Out of a going like the Sweet Hereafter and Exotic are legitimate masterpieces. Like the Sweet Hereafter, they, they, they're they're, they're fantastic. I yeah. still I still enjoy the Adjuster. I know Stephen, uh, you didn't know what you were getting into. Yeah. Uh, Maybe you didn't adjust your expectations accordingly, um, oh my God. <laughs> but no, it's 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 it, 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 it's a weird film. I mean, he, he Adam McGoyne's got some interesting things to say, but there are kind of some weird Canadian sensibilities. And I've seen him, I've seen his some of his lesser films, and there's he definitely gets into old man yelling at cloud territory at times, um, where it's like he what? feels like he's really on the money in terms of his commentary, but he's just off ever so. I don't know that I let, let, let me let me just kind of jump in here. So I'm not super familiar with Adam McGoyan. Uh, mm. I watched the adjuster for the, the podcast, yeah. which... which is admittedly a weird one to start on. And I will it, it, well, it's it's not great. say that no. I think um, 
but I, I have this problem. And if you want like, in terms of what he's saying. Yeah. Well, here, here's the thing. I mean, I feel like I don't know if I would call it Canadian sensibility because, I mean, there's lots of Canadian filmmakers um, that I've actually, you know, some that I've even discovered from doing this podcast. Um, you know, I mean, and I, I've been a massive fan of uh, David Cronenberg for a long time, and I never got oh, yeah. the sense that they were they were making something that was so Canadian I couldn't resonate with it. Um, no, fair enough. <laughs> and and Adam Agorian, like, when I watched The Adjuster, I kept thinking to myself, this is a guy who really wants to be David Lynch. <laughs> like, Yeah, it wasn't a great first film, but I think, like, Exonka and Sweet Hereafter, he really found his footing. Like, he's, he's much better at, like, blending style with, like, really heavy subject. I think that does sure. shine through I, at parts in this film. I I need to see those films. Uh, this was slightly better than I had hoped for. I did not hate it, which is more than I can say for uh, the adjuster. <laughs> which part of okay? In, and and in fairness, again, part of my problem with the adjuster was we reviewed that movie with what was it? It was like a trilogy where we did a uh, oh, hardcore. Hardcore yeah. by Paul Schrader, and then there was another one. Oh, The Nice Guys. And it was a trilogy oh, all, yeah. about, all about the porn industry, and I was so pissed that we didn't do Boogie Nights, because that's... <laughs> uh, that's no, too that's easy, though. Yeah. And, 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 and it was like, I used, I used the Boogie Nights poster as the background art. Like, <laughs> we were like, I was like, what the fuck are we watching? We'd be watching Boogie Nights. God, I love you, Devin. <laughs> anyway... Um, this was fine. That's you know. Yeah, that's I'm with you. Say. It's okay. It's all right. It's very okay. <laughs> my my review for I this think... movie, and I stand by it, is that it's the best and the worst of Adam Agoyan just wrapped up into one film. Like, there's a lot of elements I really like. Like Christopher Plummer is absolutely fantastic in this movie. Like he's just great as pl- he was always great at playing these sympathetic characters. Like, he's the perfect actor to be in Knives Out and make you care about him in five minutes before he gets murdered. Like, he's just oh, yeah. great at these, like, really sympathetic characters without feeling like he's ever trying too hard or going for, like, an Oscar bait performance. And there's some shots that are really compelling. There's some ideas that are really disturbing and uh, kind of really sad to think about. But there's also... Like, a lot of plot holes that didn't make any sense. There's a lot of egregious product placement that was extremely inappropriate <laughs> that I really wasn't expecting. I don't mean that in a good way. And the it first half fun. of the movie just feels more... Like, it, the second half felt like a much better made movie, whereas the first half just felt like you just... I, w- I was afraid, like, oh, Adam just forgot to make a movie again. Like, this is so dull and poorly shot. But the second half, I'm like... The cinematography is way better. The sound is way better. The story is more compelling. Like, did you remember to make a movie again at this point? Uh, In terms of the product placement, like the one that really pissed me off and made me like flip my hands in the air was the Enterprise scene. Where it's like, I got to go pick up my dad at Enterprise. Let me just make sure the sign for Enterprise is in perfect focus here. Like, what the fuck? This is the worst subject. Like... It made me wonder, like, how, how much money did he have for this movie? Like, did he have budget problems? Was that it? Was that why he needed, like, Holiday Inn and Enterprise and 
to leave. You know what? Like, there's so much private places. You know, knowing how fucking convoluted and painful it is to get funding for, for Canadian films in general, I wouldn't be surprised. I guess so, but yeah. like other Canadian films don't have that problem, though. Well, that's correct or not. I will not bow to any corporate sponsor. And then he like pulls out the Pizza Hut box. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> that's uh that, that that's another Canadian doing that gag. I love it. Yeah, yeah but it wait, perfect. it's on par with that. Honestly, like it I was in shock. Uh, like it well, was so and here's bad. The, thing, the whole sequence with uh, Dean Norris or Ooh. or Hank from Breaking Bad, yes, um, who he plays a similar character. Uh, what's funny about that whole thing is like when I was watching that scene, which a lot of people say is like the best part of the movie. It's so like, so haunting because of, you know, since the film's release, now there's been this rise in, in anti-Semitism and, you know, white supremacy, particularly in law enforcement. It's like storming the Capitol and a whole bunch of other stuff that went on. And I was watching that, and there was like a moment in that scene where I was thinking, oh, God, he's doing the adjuster again. Like, it's that weird <laughs> Lynchian, surreal, like repetition. And I was really worried that that was going to overstay its welcome. And it, it, it didn't. Nope. Um, it was just I like an it, experiment of sorts. And it's like, here's no, something and interesting. I, I, moving I on. saw it coming and I was like, oh, shit, don't not again. <laughs> but uh but no i mean i i here's my thing um and i i agree actually i i think that that scene is probably one of the the better parts of the movie i, I, I think, think it's i think everything from that house and onwards is when the movie actually gets kind of great well here, here's here's yeah. my problem uh i think that this film would love to be as clever as Christopher Nolan's Memento, and I don't think it is at all. And I think that's that's my biggest problem with well, it. Well, I don't and know it, if it's it trying also... to be as clever as Memento, it, more so than it's just being trying to be clever. And I think parts of it are, but parts yeah. of it just feel like like really stupid and poorly thought out. Like my biggest I do, issue. I do think, as far as the plot goes, like I do think it's depicted somewhat realistically, though. Yeah, I agree. Like, that was my my favorite part. Like, yeah. Well, yeah. Like I don't, I don't think it's trying to be overtly clever necessarily. I mean, except maybe the ending, um, which we'll talk about in a bit. Um, oh God, okay. <laughs> but um, no, I, I, I really like the whole Dean Norris like sequence. It was funny because when I first saw the film, I was just getting caught up on Breaking Bad, so it was really weird and jarring to see him <laughs> this and him being an actual like, like holy shit, like Dean Schrader's an actual Nazi in this. <laughs> is he a Nazi yeah, Breaking well, Bad? Are you trying to tell me something here? <laughs> no, 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 he wasn't. But he was like a DEA agent, which uh, some people who uh, are <laughs> would like to think of as Nazis. <laughs> oh man! Oh my goodness! Uh, no, no I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sit this one out as an American. Oh um, man! Uh, <laughs> my biggest issue with the movie is that, like, there's no consequences for anything he does in the movie. Like, he kills a cop. Are you sure? He kills an actual, except for the ending. But until then, like, he kills a cop. He kills an actual police officer. And there are no ramifications. Like, he doesn't have to run in with the police. He doesn't get, like, stopped by anybody for questioning. He doesn't get you know temporarily arrested. Like, nothing happens because of that. Well, 
that that's just how slow the Canadian justice system is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, listen, no, no more of this Black oh, Christmas oh, anti-cop crap. <laughs> here, here's one thing I will say, and it's funny that you bring this up, Ian, because I remember watching that scene, and like, there's an initial shock to where it's like, oh my god, he just shot this like nazi and shot the dog and like oh my god you know and then it's like a few minutes after that like after the like things calm down and you know there's that relief and tension and it's like you realize what he's done you realize what the film is doing i thought to myself well you know i mean no big loss really i mean <laughs> yeah exactly like <laughs> you know, he just kind of he calls his cab guy and he just moves on like even like not even so much as a what happened in there or anything. The cab guy just comes and picks well, him up. <laughs> it's like, great. It, it, it's like I, I, I would think that there'd be some kind of retaliation, but I imagine that the other cops in the forest is like... He was a Nazi. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he was yeah. a Nazi. <laughs> yeah, whatever. But we, 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 we tried to tell him to tone it down with the Nazi stuff, you know, like, you know. Just cool <laughs> it with the anti-Semitic <laughs> Exactly. Oh but um, also, also fun fact: this uh, this might be really on the nose writing now that I mention it. But like, uh, his dog is a German Shepherd, which was which is Hitler's yeah, favorite. Yep. And, and guess what the dog's name was? Oh God, I noticed that. I thought that was so lame. Yeah, that was unsubtle. <laughs> like I yeah. liked it at first Ava, when he was like really scared like of the dog. Brawl. But yeah, I, I liked it when he was really scared of the dog. But when they named the dog, I was like, like you went too far. Like, this is a little too much. Eva Braun, the German Shepherd. Come on, man. Yeah, like, like <laughs> dial it back it a almost, little bit. I mean, it, it almost feels like a fever dream, that whole sequence, really, when you think about it. Well, that's where I was saying, like, it felt like he was regressing to that, like, <laughs> not quite David Lynch adjuster thing that was early in his career. And honestly, I, I was... I was honestly a little disappointed. Like, and again, I think that sequence is brilliant, but at the same time, I was also a little disappointed because I was expecting uh, Dean Norris character to maybe go into some kind of like monologue where he's like really antagonizing the guy and it's, it's really well thought out and, you know, but he just kept repeating, like, you know, Sieg Heil or whatever over and over again. And I was like, this feels like a missed opportunity. A little bit, um, yeah. And but there the was a lot is, of... Yeah, go on. The, the, well, the other thing is, you know, I also feel like that as brilliant as that scene is, and I know we'll get into this, we've, we've said this a few times now, but I feel like the ending kind of undercuts the narrative weight of that. Because there's a there's a twist. Uh, I'm not going to spoil it just yet, but I feel like knowing the twist now, it takes away some of what makes that scene so great. I think it actually works. Yeah, in so, favor of that scene. Uh, well, well, when I first saw this film, I was really kind of taken by it. I was also kind of being a real like Canadian film student nerd, um, and just being really into whatever you know these these people happen to be making. And then upon watching it a second time, I think with all that in mind, it does kind of lose impact. So that that I will say. I do think the, the story and the trajectory of it is still really fascinating. And I like that, you know, it's, it's kind of unnerving that this dementia patient is able to get out of uh, get, get out, get out of his nursing home, buy himself a gun, and uh, go on this kind of mission without uh, 
there being much recourse or uh, consequences for it. Like, that's a little kind of scary. And he's also just uh, showing that just as a danger, as much a danger to himself as he is to others. Um, and I that's all. The, I think the premise is there, but it's more the execution for me. Yeah, it's, just, it's the, ex- yeah. The, the, the execution is definitely like spotty. Like and that's yeah, the, it's and, very and, and, and I don't I don't I don't know to what direction to to what extent it's the direction or the writing. Uh, this was written by uh, not Adam McGoin. It was written by someone else from uh, Benjamin August. I don't know what what other credentials uh, they have. But um, I do think that it could have, definitely could have been finessed a little bit better here and there. But I do think that it's still a solid premise and a really unique kind of story. Mm-hmm. So I still recommend this film to people when I remember to. Um, <laughs> just because I do think it's a very fascinating uh, film to, to, to kind of look at. But, you know, it's not without some caveats for sure. Absolutely. But there is a lot I still appreciate about the movie still. Like like I said, Christopher Plummer's performance is absolutely fantastic. Like. And uh, there's a lot of great shots in the second half of the movie. Like, there's a lot of really interesting long takes. Uh, I like when it cuts between the little girl at the hospital and cut to Martin Landau's character and back again as he has to have this awful information read by a little girl. Like, that was that was probably the only scene where it got, like, qu- close to welting up because it's so brutal and uncomfortable. And, uh, and But my favorite part about the movie was the music is really good. Like, it really enhances the mood of, like, every scene it's in. Like, it's very somber and kind of off-kelter and emotional, but it's also, like, very creepy and eerie at certain points. Like, it's hard to pinpoint, but it really enhances the mood of, like, every scene it was in. Like, it was a great soundtrack, for sure. But I legitimately think, like, the first half of this movie was so hard to sit through. Like, the child actors are terrible. There's this cinematography just isn't as interesting. It kind of just felt like a documentary, very lazily shot, blasted lighting. And the pacing just wasn't, I don't know, it just wasn't grabbing me. It's like, okay, there, there's something missing here. And as soon as it got to that Dean Norris scene, it got so much more compelling. Like, it, ever, ever since he got off that taxi, it's just the story was a lot more engaging. It's like, all right, now I'm on board. Like, I want to see where this goes. And mm. I actually kind of like the ending twist. I think it does enhance certain scenes because the Dean Norris scene is so brutal because now it's like making him remember what he's done and he wants to reject that. It's not so much he remembers being a Jew, but he remembers all of the awful things he's done and he's literally enforcing this into his mindset and he's just living in denial. And I don't know, I, I think it worked and I did not see... That ending coming, but really, the first I half is such a painful stretch. You stole my joke. Um, yeah. No, no, I, 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 I agree though. I think that, um, to me, was like the, 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 the epitome of you know, showing German guilt and kind of the, the consequences it can have. Like people will, kind of be thrown into denial. It's, it's really, um, it's a taboo subject. Um, still even over there, I do think they acknowledge it. And try to be, take responsibility for it, but it's you know if if you are if your country if your people were responsible for those kinds of things, it'd be really hard to reconcile with. Like anytime I mentioned anything vaguely negative about America, Stephen goes into a fit. 
and of course he has to bring up and of course he has to bring up the dead native children anytime yes, that, that comes I mean, up. Which you know, I'd let, like let, to remind you, you did too. You know, well, not let, not let, that any of us are personally responsible, uh-huh. enough, but really, generally yeah, speaking, uh, let, it's to hard to acknowledge cool your the, 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 the atrocities that, that you know, the soil we stand on is stained with the blood of innocence, which yeah, is uh, it just flag. Let he who is without sin uh, cast the first stone, right? Uh, exactly. I mean, I, I don't think anyone's going to argue that, you know, Hitler's probably the worst of those <laughs> atrocities um maybe just by sheer number i mean but you know, i mean he's but... certainly the most he's certainly the most popular i'll say that well we're kind of dancing around the ending twist uh what is as, it as, i can't as, remember oh yeah as norm mcdonald said you know the more i learn about this hitler guy the more i don't like him he was a real jerk <laughs> well uh what is the <laughs> ending twist really though um <laughs> He was the Nazi all along. Oh, my yep. God. I wow. thought, like, I didn't see that coming, but I think it, in retrospect, it did help the film be compelling in a different uh, way, for me, at kind least. Of, to me, it came across, like, M. Night Shyamalan. I, I think there's a good build-up to it. Like, it makes sense. Yeah, and in I fact, it, it, if anything, like I, up until that point, I'm like, why don't you just hire a hitman? Like, this is ridiculous. Why are you sending this guy with dementia all across different countries to kill people? I'm, I'm wondering. If, I'm wondering if it was like a sick bit of retribution. Like he's absolutely like he, like he's setting. He, he wants to set him up to fail. Like he he thought yeah. it maybe at, at a certain point that. You know this. This would this would bite him back. Legitimately, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I'm no, curious. I think that's what it was. Did. I Absolutely, I saw that at the very end, uh, that sort of last shot is on the desk. There, there's a uh, the letter that he had given Christopher Plummer's character, and there's also a, a written note of confession. Like it was all set up from the very beginning, and. You know, the the guy who was kind of masterminding this whole thing was disabled and, you know, had convinced this guy that, you know, I can't do it, but we made a promise that we would go do it and, and you have to go fulfill your duty of, of vengeance. And I, I don't know. I mean, it. I guess well, it works. It, it kind of comes so out of left field and it's not... It's not a particularly satisfying twist, really, but no. I, I don't know. I don't know if it was particularly. I, 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 I thought it was. I thought it was satisfying, if a little on the nose. Although I think the real twist that we're all ignoring here is that the, the guy in the wheelchair is literally Hitler. <laughs> what? <laughs> I, I, I mean, in, in, in another movie, but you know. Uh, oh! 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 It's, yeah. It's, 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 about... Actually, okay, and I'm glad you brought this up. Oh so Bruno Gans, who is the man in the hospital bed, I believe he was the uh, gay man who who Christopher Plummer interacts with in one scene. Um, that guy actually played Hitler in the movie Downfall, which we, we tossed around a little bit um, yeah, about yeah. possibly reviewing tonight. Now, what's funny about this and i i had asked devon to remind me but <laughs> um mm-hmm. as we all know lars von trier um who had a 
miscommunication. <laughs> yes, uh, miscommunication at uh, cons, uh, which is a, a very funny clip if you want to see uh, Kirsten Dunst uh, cringe to death. In real, um, in real time. In real time, yeah. <laughs> Just watch her soul die. <laughs> yeah, I, I supported Hitler. Yeah, that's a classic. Yeah. No, no, well, he, he just so, says, I think I understand Hitler. <laughs> at a French yeah. movie festival. I mean, yeah, he knows how to well, troll people. He, he, also, he also said that he was disappointed that, like, he, he thought he was going to have Jewish ancestry and then he turned out to be a Nazi or something. Anyway, <laughs> um, right. Lars von Trier said all of this during promotion of the film Melancholia. And where did they promote it? Uh, yes, and because of that, he was kicked out of cons for... Which is in a France. Few, <laughs> a few years, yes. But when he returned with the house that Jack built, he cast Bruno Ganz as uh, a, a very important side character. <laughs> and what is Bruno Ganz most known for playing? Hitler. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, what Hell a Hydra. mad lad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this um, was an interesting mixed bag overall. Like, it's, I can't stress I enough, like, how much I wasn't digging in the first half and how I was just suddenly a 180. Like, I was constantly checking the time in the first half, but the second half, I didn't even pause once. <laughs> like, it's just such a weird turn of left field, and it really is just the best and worst of Adam McGoian and one messy, yeah. fascinating it, package. It, 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 in a sense, it's a return to form for him, but it also shows what he's kind of maybe lost over the years. Um, Agreed. It's almost like it's it's almost like meeting a, an old relative of yours that you dearly love, and they're not the same person anymore, and they don't even recognize you. Ah. Yeah. Perhaps they needed Agreed. to remember. Yeah. Um, uh, what would be? What are we gonna give it? Um, ten. I I, I would be gener- I would be generous to give it a, an eight. I'm gonna let you guys do the do, do the funny. What, no, you no no. You rate it first. <laughs> you, you, this no, no, this. Idea. The, yeah, this is your you idea. Gotta, You're um, not gonna pander to my, us. Oh fuck it. Uh, my initial my initial review would be eight. I'd be giving it a six point nine. Um, <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> it, right. is, it, it is a mixed bag, and it's one of the few occasions my my score aligns with Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> no, it does. It literally has a sixty-nine percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, nice. But um, I, 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 I do hold it in higher regard. Um, still, just uh, I do think it is a, uh, a decent film, and it has a unique angle, and I do think it shows kind of the futility of revenge, also, um, and how. There's you know, a lot of films that do that better, though. I mean, I mean, yeah, but it's one of them. <laughs> it is one of the movies of all time. <laughs> Why don't you give it, Stephen? I, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I, I, it's fine. Uh, I'm I'm gonna be really really nice here, and and give it like a seven and a half. And it's probably mm-hmm. more of a six point nine. But uh, I, I I don't want to I don't want to just shit on the movie. I mean, there's a lot to like about this film. It is not as clever as it wants to be. It is certainly not as clever as Memento. Uh, it is, it's okay. Like that's that's really where I'm at with it. Um, it is a, it is an A24 film. So uh, 
as Kristen. Here's the weird thing. I think A24 acquired it long after it was made. Like, that was more of a way to kind of get it more... Rec- I don't think this movie made its money back, which is the really sad thing. It was a huge flop, um, yeah. Which, yeah, not that, that's very, that's very on, on par with Canadian films in general. So, well, you know, you know, we've we've had uh, we've had Kristen uh, Greedy on as a guest, and she's one of the administrators of the A twenty four film group on on Facebook. And I had asked her if she had seen this, and she said no. So I'm guessing this does not pass the A twenty four vibe check. I unfortunately um, not. I'm gonna give this one a six out of ten. Is one of the most That's mixed bag mixed bag movies I have seen in a while. I wanted to love it more than I did, but I also expected it expected to hate it more than I did. So I'm kind of somewhere in the middle. Christopher Plummer, God rest his soul, made it all possible. Oh, he's an absolute Chad. I mean, he makes yeah. this film as good as it is, and I'd argue that really the reason I'm being as generous as I am is, you know. Just as much not to uh, hurt Devin's feelings, uh, as much as it is just, I mean, a, a testament to Christopher Plummer and and his incredible performance. Like I feel oh, like this he makes film it work. Be, yeah, he really. This film would be so much worse if it wasn't for him. So agreed. Wholeheartedly. Kudos. Speaking of uh, making people feel bad, uh, all quiet on the Western Front. The 2022 wow, German re- Netflix reboot, uh, wrote, yeah, say that again 10 times fast, of the classic re-remake. re-remake, which is insanity. This is a classic novel that's lived on for generations. It's lived on for a uh, t- uh, 20s-30s black-and-white movie, lived on for a TV movie in the 70s, and now it's lived on through a German cinema uh, from a director, Edward Berger, this is the official sub, um, submission for the best foreign language film category at the Oscars. I'm curious to see how that will go. Uh, I was lucky enough to check out this film in the theater because Netflix decided to do a limited release because they don't want films that should be in the theaters to be released in theaters. Fuck you, Netflix. Put Pinocchio in more fucking theaters. God damn it. Uh, anyways, back to all on the Western Front. It is the classic story of German soldiers that are very very young German soldiers. They actually look the right age in this version, which is easily one of the best improvements over the other versions. Cause you watch the TV movie and you're like, Oh, this 28 year old is pretending to be a t- <laughs> like a straight off high school. That's uh, not the most convincing thing ever, but they actually feels like they casted actors to the right age in this one. And it really helps because this is a comfortable story about a young German soldier who was branded into the war in France and he, this is basically about his experiences and distress on the Western Front during World War One. But it also cuts between the German leaders during World War One and some of the, let's say, questionable decisions they were making to put their soldiers' lives on the line. And that's essentially what the film is about. I thought it was it was good. Uh, it has some issues for sure. Like I think there's some stylistic and structural choices that were really hold the film back in my opinion but overall i think it's a pretty solid disturbing depiction of the war and i am really glad i watched it in the theaters i kind of wish more movies like this were released in the theaters just these hard R 
brutal, uncomfortable, uncompromising war movies that don't feel sanitary, they don't feel safe, and they don't feel like they're just there to push a positive message. Like, they're there to show how brutal the war really is and fleshing out the boots on the ground. I kind of wish we'd have more movies like that in this day and age, and that's a genre that's kind of falling flat. Yeah, because I think, you know, if we were to examine, like, the objective of a war film, I do think it is to remind us that uh, this sucks and we shouldn't do it again. (laughs) Absolutely. It shouldn't be like, oh, man, these two of these cultural differences are working out their differences. Seen that in every other movie. Now we're going to see it in a war film. Like, this film is more interesting than just the brutality of war and the stripping of humanity. And can we possibly go back from the choices we've made is a very common discussed topic in the movie and while i do definitely have my issues it's still pretty solid stuff uh what'd you guys think awfully quiet over there steven what's the problem yeah no, I, mean, <laughs> I, know, I, I i was just i was just thinking um i like the cold open of the film um, great stuff sure. yeah it, it, and, and fitting with the title I, I was i was just recreating it by not speaking <laughs> yeah exactly uh no, I think uh, let, let's talk about the good. I mean, I think this is beautifully shot. It has some of the best cinematography yeah. I've seen in years. Um, I, I think that, you know, the sound design, the performances, uh, all of the technical elements are there in space. Oh, yeah. But I think this I, I, is... I also think it's a very it's a very beautiful film without it feeling like that's the point also. Like, it feels very grounded in what it's trying to say. Well, here, here, I don't always agree with that, but... Here, here's, here's where I'm at. I think this is one of the most beautiful propaganda pieces I've seen. What? What? I, no, I... Think- I uh, Steven, I won't fight you. Uh, I'm going to book a ticket to the I- U.S. and I'm going to fight you. <laughs> Explain <laughs> yourself. Come at me, bro. Explain no, yourself, I- Steven Beeson. No, I think... Care to elaborate? <laughs> yeah, no, I will. I mean, I think that... Here's the problem. I think that this film really wants you to feel sympathy for these young boys. And As it should. I- <laughs> no, here's the thing. As I looked up and again, this was my first introduction to this story. Um, I still need to see both of the other versions, and I need to read the book. But just in you know researching not only this film but uh, the history of World War One and you know the other adaptations of this and and uh, the book itself and differences between the three versions and the novel. Um, there's a lot of character growth and development that I feel like benefits this story that was cut. And I feel like at the, I feel like at the end of the day, what we know about Paul and his battalion is really that they are young patriots. And I feel like no, what? Okay, go on, go on. No, 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 no. Wait, wait, wait a minute. They are young. Patriots they are not patriots get... in the slightest. Like, that's the I whole point of the movie. They're patriots at first. At when they but start when out, they yeah, but that's out. the whole point. Like, they start off as patriots, and then they are just driven to lose their humanity for the war and forget I... what they're fighting for, and they lose their patriotism. Sure, but I think, I, I think that... Yeah, I, I, I think the film is sort of at odds with itself in that, because 
yes, it wants to like you know portray them as as driven to these extremes and all of that but it's like i i I actually kind of find it ironic that that devin was talking about you know the spectacle of something like cross of iron because i think this film does way more of that i think this film at times plays out like a video game i agree slightly with that yeah these characters are so bland I disagree and with I, that. I think they're not that. as well fleshed out as the other adaptations. I agree wholeheartedly on that. But I think there is still plenty of humanity to them. Like it, just for all the little moments I, where their hands I are shaking know, and while dragging out like water from the pools. The, the see where the, the kid is like having this awkward it. encounter with like a poster that's like entertaining and funny, but also fleshes out like just how he doesn't have much experience in that sort of thing anymore. Like there, it's all in the little moments. I think there's still moments there, and I wish there was more of it. But they aren't there. Well, to say that they aren't there, I just I don't agree. Everything with that. from you know from everything I've read and from everything that I've done research on, and yes, I do need to see the other adaptations of this. Mm. But you know, there mm. are moments in those original adaptations and in the book, especially. Where you know there there's moments where Paul actually communicates with uh, Russian prisoners of war, you know, and he finds out that these people that he's fighting against are not different from him; that he's had similar upbringing and similar, uh, you know, understandings of the world. There's that shared commonality of experience. And why am I going to kill these people if they're not so different from me? There's elements from previous adaptations where. You know, Paul actually comes home for more briefly. Yeah, I was so pissed they left that out. He he meets with his mother who's dying of cancer and there's that dialogue and there's moments where he comes home and he reprimands his teacher and the students for essentially conning him into getting involved in this. And I feel like when you remove that and, you know, we have this whole moment where like Paul is down in the trenches and he he kills this man and it's it's very brutal and he you know stuffs dirt in his mouth and it's like Such in a that scene. moment yeah. oh it's it's horrific and it's sad and we're supposed to feel sad but then later on you know uh, paul also does something you know similarly brutal in this trench warfare and then we're supposed to feel sorry when like we're supposed to feel sad when paul dies and i i don't know that i really know enough about this character or if what i know about the character is enough to make me say yeah this guy's a good person i feel sad for him well i feel like it's like it's kind of like this film was apparently heavily inspired by come and see in particular, and I could definitely see I, that. Where this is a guy that's the visual influence. I, I can absolutely, absolutely see yeah. the visual influence. I don't think it quite has the same visceral impact. I will it's say not the one quite scene as that good, really. Yeah. It's too. The, 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 I, I think the one scene that really worked in that regard was them looking at all the bodies in the aftermath and yeah. and oh, just man. taking off the dot tags. That was the one scene that actually really like got to me. Or and the was, opening scene with and, like all of the like like suits getting passed on just to be cleaned on uh, up for the next soldiers in that brief moment where they got the dog tag wrong and the guy's like oh it it must just be like a different size it happens all the time like just telling this blatant lie 
that yeah. he knows is eating like, him up inside to keep him yeah. optimistic. I, I so I've only seen the TV, the other version, yeah, the, like the TV version that was made back in the '70s, which has been held in high regard in a film as a film in and of itself. Even though it's again, it's another weird case where they have British actors portraying German people, and there's and they speak English with like slight German accents, so there's that kind of weird disconnect. But I do think that film, at least in terms of developing the characters and making you care and empathize with them before, you know, shit gets real. I do think they, they did a better job in that original uh, version than they did here. Because I, I don't maybe it's just like the, the barrier of the language a little bit like I was reading subtitles and I'm following along, but I didn't fall in love with the characters quickly before it got real. In this version of it, and see, oh, I don't e- know e- that e- I... e- even though that the production value and everything is a hundred percent an improvement over the over that TV remake that I saw. Yeah, I lost a bit of a turn. I agree, and I think I... a big reason for that is my biggest issue is all of the pol- political scenes where they cut to Daniel Brule and all of the discussions about like the uh, like how they're affecting the world with all of these political figures. Like those scenes. I feel like I got it after two minutes, and the fact that they would keep kind of away from these really heart-wrenching scenes with the soldiers and discussions about, uh, like, the futility of war and, you know, can we possibly go back yeah. from this? Can we possibly grow and change from these awful experiences? Uh, can we overcome it to a, pol- a politician's bad? Rich aristocrats who eat nice food is bad. It's like, okay, I get it, and it just isn't nearly as compelling. Like, you put that content in there, but we didn't about. get segments of him like going home or segments of him talking to Russian prisoners. Like that stuff either should have been cut out or it should have been replaced with more humanizing scenes. And that's easily my biggest issue with the film by far. Well, and I but there's I mean, still a lot I did of, appreciate about it. That that ties into what I was saying about um, you know the Cross of Iron earlier. Is I I think that film manages to. Uh, set up and and accomplish this kind of uh, you know dichotomy between the ruling class and and the Prussian aristocrats and well and the finish we saw it all from the soldiers' perspective like we did, it only cut to them when they were involved directly in the soldiers' lives and that made it more engaging but sure, it's, so, I, there's such a huge I, disconnect when you go from this awful scene in the trenches to Daniel Brühl talking about either or not they should sign a contract. Like, I don't give a shit about the contract. I don't care about the soldier with his, who just experienced this traumatic event. Like, don't cut away from that. I need more no, of that and, humanity. And, and see, that's, yeah, I mean, it's like... I mean, there's and, still and humanity there. Like, there's still plenty of moments... Yeah, let the man talk for a minute. <laughs> no, I would, no, I would. I won't. I would argue that Cross of Iron manages to accomplish what you're describing in one to two conversations where all quiet on the western front at least this new version takes half of the movie to set that up and what i take issue with uh you know is like i think which none of the the aristocratic document signing you know none of that stuff was in any of the other adaptations that was sort of added For that, it felt at it. it, it that it was the, yeah, that was the question. It, I was. But it also, it gives context, thing. I guess, to what was have going on. Was it, think, it wasn't compelling enough to include, though. I think what it is is I think you know Daniel Bruhl is 
uh, a fantastic actor. He's got a little bit of a following now. He was in involved in some of the Marvel stuff. Uh, before that, you know, he was in. Um, oh yeah, I was wondering where I recognized him. In, in Glorious Bastards, yeah. that's, that's that. where I knew him from. Yeah, he, he's been in some great stuff, and I feel like the filmmakers were saying, "Well, here's someone with a somewhat American following. Like, let's yeah. let's find a place for him." Yeah, we gotta sell you know, tickets. Yeah, we, we gotta, gotta get people tickets. to watch the movie, right. which and, is unfortunate. Here's the other problem. I think that it should give anyone pause when, you know, the, the novel itself was written by a German man, but the director is coming in and saying, let's tell the movie from the German perspective. Well, like, he's saying that none of the other films were German. Like, he, that was his per. You know, view on that issue. Well, they may not be they may not be German, you know, productions, but I think they they maybe captured uh, a more nuanced picture of the war. And I feel like you know something that I really took issue with in this film is, and and this is me, and this kind of ties into an earlier complaint that I had. But it's like I feel like the original adaptations of the novel were more about the brutality and the mundanity and, and the sort of pointless nature of war. And I feel like this film comes close to being more like, yes, it's the brutal mundanity of war, but it's kind of like the French four-star hand. No, they, I, I did not that, get that final. No, I don't know. Well, here's the thing, okay? And and, and I know there you started... There's that. I, yeah. I think there's an element of that, because here's the thing. There's this whole sequence where there are entire battalions of, like, French soldiers that have flamethrowers, and they're they're throwing down fire and napalm on all of the German soldiers, and it's it's this very take-no-prisoners sort of approach. And the fact of the matter is, A, you were never going to see, I mean, especially in World War One, you were never going to see, like, a battalion of people with flamethrowers. And two... Even if there was a specific unit of all these men that all had flamethrowers, they're not going to be indiscriminately slaughtering Germans with flamethrowers just for glory or the hell of it. Like, in fact, there were over 400,000 or some odd, you know, Germans that were taken as prisoners of war. Now, I'm not saying that that's better, but a lot of those Germans were worth more to the French alive than they were dead. And so I feel like that's where this film is basically trying to portray it as like, yeah, look at all the Germans went through. And uh, I don't. But the Germans do terrible things too. Like the film makes a clear I, point of that. But I think that's more just a consequence, whereas I think uh, the French so stealing like from a family is battery. seen as a good thing. The, the, <laughs> uh, so so, so there, there there is one thing that I do think that those scenes do add. So I. Arguably, the reason World War II happened is because the I think it was the Treaty of Versailles that Germany had to sign after losing the war that the other countries were just really laying it on thick and really making it overly harsh, arguably, um, on Germany after the war, like overpunishing them, which is what led them to develop this uh, superiority complex and really retaliate 
in startup World War II. Like uh, Hitler himself, like personally felt attacked <laughs> um, when he saw what Germany went through. Maybe if they weren't as harsh, maybe World War II may not have happened. That's something that's argued by historians. So maybe that's what the point of including all those scenes was was to show they were trying to force into the situation. Maybe maybe where they were trying to negotiate. And it's I just interesting. That... It's interesting to see it from their perspective. As, sure, uh, as I think well. that, that I, I think that that would have made a great scene to play into the film, and they could have included that over half an hour of of document signing and and other. Yeah, nonsense. it's really boring. Yeah, it's really boring, and I think really what's so disappointing here is is just the wasted potential. I mean, I think this film is again, it's it's beautifully shot, but there is so much about this that that leaves just so much it to be some, desired. It leaves something to be desired. I didn't feel the same emotional resonance as I did when I saw the TV remake. There was this whole I don't want to spoil anything in that. Um even though you pretty well it's almost the same movie, but they 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 bookended it with this uh, beautiful motif. Um, like this, this guy was like writing poetry or which I don't know if it's in the original book or not. All I'm saying is I remember it. Um, and in fact, though, the one, uh, little diff of, uh, of our server where it's just the guy, uh, dead. That's like the French soldier in the hole. That was actually one scene I was wanting to see side by side, the original thirties version, which I still have yet to see the seventies version and this version, this, the scene in the hole, how well do they capture that moment? Cause that was like a big moment where he sees the soldier from the other side and questions, his place in this war, like why am I fighting these people that are just like me? And seeing, yeah, there it is. Um, and I just want to see how well do those scenes compare in terms of emotional resonance, in terms of getting the point across. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just very curious, like to to fully examine that. I, and... I feel like, I, I feel like this was made by someone who maybe, maybe has an understanding of of filmmaking but but doesn't have an understanding of of storytelling or or of trying to present oh. things in a nuanced way Perhaps. i i uh, i don't know the other person uh it's edward berger i think is his name nice yeah which, uh, i'm not gonna make a joke about that but i don't know his <laughs> other uh i don't know his other work and i'm just curious like what what else has he made um, and if there's any evidence there, I'm just very curious. They all look like kind um, of artsy films. From it, the look it, of it. It, yeah, it, it felt like there was something missing that I saw in the TV version that gave it some emotional resonance that I was honestly not expecting it to have. Like when I watch like a made-for-TV movie, my expectations are kind of lowered just because, you know, it's made-for-TV. But there's a reason that this film, that, that particular version of the film had been, you know, championed for quite a while it was it came as a personal recommendation for my friend matthew portelli which matt if you're listening i'm sorry you're not here i'd love to you, you to fill us in you're, you're usually very well researched in the history and knowing the stuff where i'm just talking out of my ass on the air and to fill a bear time um <laughs> you know but uh but no i i, I, I am genuinely curious when, when, when you get a chance i would love to hear your perspective on this film hmm. 
Did it really hold up to the original adaptation? I still have your copy of the movie, Matt. I got to give that back to you. Um, but I think I want to rewatch it one more time before I do, just to see what what did this version miss that that one had. I think I it was just the humanity behind it, and part of that may have been because the TV movie didn't have as high of a budget, so they kind of had to focus on the human element too. They they honed in on the on. important stuff. You're saying? Well, I I still think elements like that are here. Like I still think there's a lot of great moments with the soldiers and particularly towards the end of the film when the guy like commits suicide with the fork and the other guy like questions like oh, whether or not I we can return that. like that's that was so brutal and engaging but then but it cuts to a, a manipulative he was what? going to live why is he stabbing himself well because he fork? doesn't he can't live with the guilt that he has like he can't live with the fact that he's oh, killed hundreds of people like that's what do you mean? Come on, that's exactly I, yeah, what they were going I, for. I, I, I think it's that is a hundred percent. I think it's a real thing, though. I think that there were people who off themselves absolutely deal. Like I remember yeah. the one scene where the guy was crying for like his mom because he's just at that point of yeah. desperation almost, <laughs> which has happened before. You know, I mean, arguably it might have been done better in, in other films, but again. We're we're really focusing on the filmmaking here, not the real events that it's depicting, because we weren't there. But we are sort of depicting. We're we're critiquing how well these films depict events like this. Um, I still think films like Come and See and Hell, even uh, to an extent, um, Saving Private Ryan did a better job. Although that film is is some propaganda in and of itself. Um, I don't know that I would agree with yeah, that. Yeah, I don't know I, I agree with that either. I, I, I know, I know, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> I know the American one agrees, so the Canadian will say he doesn't here. agree, and that's more, yeah, that's more yeah. convincing. <laughs> well, I, I have to say, though, so this film has a very, very high score in Rotten Tomatoes at the moment. It's got yeah. 92% fresh, which, you know, all the power to it, good for you. And, and, and anyone that makes a film... Um, you know, want it to be well regarded, and I praise films that get the recognition. Although, you know, in just in contrast to uh, the ones that came before, I do think that there was perhaps some elements that were missing, and I want to go back and examine what those were. I still need to see the 1930s version, and Me I'm too. curious. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm curious how that one holds up today, and and what. Well, I, I will. Okay, did, 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 did. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in here a minute because I mean I, I don't want to. I mean I know you guys are are giving me a hard time, um, but you know <laughs> it's, it's all in good fun. It's all good faith. Plenty of films that I have seen that have been very critical uh, of the American position. I mean uh, Lars von Trier's Dogville, David Lynch's Blue Velvet. I love all of those films, and those are films that are not kind to America as a whole, and and for good reason. But I feel like I don't I don't know that I would agree that Saving Private Ryan is is propaganda, and I don't know that I would agree that this film isn't. Hmm. I I just I really think, and there's moments where I'm watching this where it is milking out every ounce of sympathy and i i just kept thinking to myself this honestly there's moments where this feels like a slasher film like this isn't a depiction of war this is not a nuanced character study this is let me throw as much video game violence at the screen to make people feel as sorry as they can for for the germans and i I understand that, you know, this is a German story and that 
you know, this guy is trying to reclaim it and, and, and tell it from a, a production uh, perspective that hasn't been done before. But, uh, you know, it's, it's like I heard someone say in reviewing this film, it's like for a film called All Quiet on the Western Front, this is a really loud film. Except and for the beginning I, and the end, which I really appreciated. I like that they both ended it with silence. That was that was a nice was touch. A I, I do think that was a very tasteful implementation that really ties into the title. And that, and I almost instantaneously felt that they were going in a in mostly the right direction when And I wish that, that the rest of the film went in the right direction. I think parts of it I, did, but we'll Steven, I'll just make one point. Um <laughs> just, just on, on on Saving Private Ryan. This is, uh, admittedly, I got this mostly from like a, a video essay on the topic. Uh, I'd cite my sources if I could remember them, but um, it was saying that uh, Saving Private Ryan, even though it's a very un the, the, an unflinching depiction of war, what makes it propaganda is that its sentiment is that it was all worth it. Um, oh. Where, and 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 and, that, and that's why it, it still holds up as kind of a pro-American pro-war piece in a sense well, even though it's the... very unflinching in, 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 in its depiction uh this well, film here's, here's is mostly problem, unflinching though. it could have it could have gotten further with it but it was all it also questions what the worth of it was because they didn't well lose. but w- wait a minute because we're, I, I understand we're comparing these two different films and there is some similarity in terms of unflinching spectacle but I think the missing context to trying to even compare these two films is the fact that we're talking about two different world wars. And this I is think, true, yes. I think if you look at, there's actually, you know, a list, and I think the United Nations or, you know, Geneva Convention or, or, or what have you, you know, you can, you can Google this and, and find it, but it's, there are certain conditions that have to be met in order for a country to go to war. And when we think about World War II, historians will tell you that is one of the only wars where all of those conditions were met and a conflict was justified because what was happening was so unconscionable. People will tell mm-hmm. you that World War I was a mostly pointless you know, exercise. And unfortunately, the the sort of pointlessness of World War One did lead to something to where the the entire world had to get involved and prevent what was happening in World War Two. Um, but I I don't know. I, I, I feel like and this was this was actually, you know, speaking of war films, like this was part of my issue with the thin red line when we reviewed that film is like I didn't understand the the decision to make a uh, anti-war sentiment film about World War II. I actually think that film would work better if it was in the context of Vietnam. But I, I thought don't know. It wasn't, I, mean, I thought it was Vietnam, wasn't it? No, it was oh, World War II. That was, was part of my issue. Yeah. Is that okay. you know World War II is. As far as wars, I mean, the most justified of them all, and that is unfortunate to say. Um, this is you know, much, is it? No, it's not. You know, it's, uh, you know, and, and right now, I mean, society as a whole, we're, we're kind of on almost on the verge of war again. There's 
trouble Man. in the Ukraine. There's trouble in uh, North Korea. There's, you know, all of this problem. All this, in the world. All this trouble. We, yeah. we really do live in a society. God damn. Well, what would you guys <laughs> give the new All Quiet on the Western Front out of 10? Can't wait to hear these scores. <laughs> I'm going to give it a... Sorry, Stephen, go ahead. No, no, no. I'm I'm going to give this about a... A four point five. Boo! I think it, I think <laughs> it looks really nice. That's about it. Wow. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll give it. I'll, I'll give it a six point nine. A lukewarm six point nine. <laughs> I will give it a seven point five out of ten. Closer to an eight Jesus than Christ, a seven. We're all over the map. Holy crap! Uh, I. This has, yeah. this has been quite a quite a podcast agreed mm-hmm. what a one great of episode podcast of all time that we've what, recorded so so so, so what, what what have we learned by the end of all this what 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 can we definitively say about german guilds anything or did we just watch a bunch of movies and well we certainly learned that i think every country deals with an equal amount of guilt when it comes to the war one way or another i know not they like to admit it. it's a different story but this sure oh, yeah and you know, if we ever, if we ever did a film, or if we ever did a uh, an episode about uh, maybe something closer to home, and, and the guilt that you know Canadians feel, or or North Americans feel, or you know, in my neck of the woods, I I think there's a brilliant film um, by Brian De Palma, which I've wanted an excuse to uh, review anyway, um, but it's called Casualties of War. And it's a Vietnam film about uh, a, a troop that is uh, uh, under fire for uh, sexually assaulting, you know, young women uh, over in the area. And it's supposed to be an incredibly brutal and, and unflinching look at some of the atrocities that were committed over in Vietnam. And uh, I believe Michael J. Fox plays uh the sort of protagonist who who uncovers this you know really bad uh conspiracy and i i think that would be an interesting film to look at if we were going to do another anti-war trilogy well but what is up next Stephen? elaborate well, it's it's not the Vietnam episode. <laughs> well, what is it? <laughs> oh boy. Well, it's uh, let's see. What did you losers pick? Holy shit! Sci-fi. Uh, <laughs> sci-fi war. We're not wow. even on the same planet. Going to space. It's, we it, are it's totally, like... completely not grounded in reality anymore. Speaking of just be seeing war as a passive spectacle rather than anything with real world consequences. But that being said, yes, some of these movies are through. clearly affected by the war. Go on, Stephen. I, I don't know. We could have talked about Apocalypse Now. Starship Troopers. Uh, Apocalypse we're Now. Well, well, what, about... what else did I suggest? I forget. <laughs> uh, I, I... Full Metal Jacket and the other oh, one. Fuck. Oh, you, I wanted to do casualties of uh, casualties of war. You wanted to do Tropic Thunder as the third. <laughs> yeah, dude. Like, yeah, the, the whole the, the, the namastakes we made along. Do you know how fucking long that took me to come up with that pun? Actually, didn't no, take long. But like, that's look, a triple entendre. I yeah, felt so no, proud it, of that. I, I agree. <laughs> it would have been a great trilogy. 
Instead, we're going to be talking about Starship Troopers. Which I haven't seen yet. Edge, Edge of Tomorrow yeah. and fucking District 9. Just shoot me. Uh, that's, what we should, that's what we should call the episode just shoot me absolutely uh, yeah thanks for well, discord group for filling fun on episode also fuck you you talk me out of talking about tropic thunder on here i won't forget it uh, but I, I, also I, I, thank I you but also thank you because i love district nine so okay i i i do want to okay as much as talking as we do about the whole polls even though this is a, a thing of our own design uh democracy whatever um I do want to uh, quick shout out. We, we we had one genuine compliment from someone saying, mm. and I don't want to let this get to my head, but uh, he, he he was saying that this is like one of the best servers he's been in, which I don't know how true that is, but if so, thank you for sticking with us. It really means a lot. Like I try to balance the silliness and the stupidity with some sincerity and uh, and well-meaning. So I appreciate everybody that sits along with us and uh, tries to see us for how we are and. Uh, is here and yeah, is here along for the ride. So I really appreciate that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I Thank will you guys. see you all uh, in two weeks. I guess it is. That's correct. Thanks for thanks for yep. uh, having me on again. And uh, get your eyes to Mars. <laughs> see you guys later. Have a good night. Yeah. Hi, y'all. It's the first.